Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. Psalm 23 from the message. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I am not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, my cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I am back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So Americans do not know how to grieve very well. We see grief as a problem to be solved. Grief is not a problem to be solved. Grief is an experience to be assimilated. That's right, grief is not a problem to be solved. Grief is an experience to be assimilated. And yes, Your grief is as bad as you think it is. Your grief is as bad as you think it is. We don't grieve unless we love. Grief can only come from love. Because only if we love well can we experience loss that will bring us to grief. It is only through loving well and risking loss and then experiencing that loss, that we discover grief and mourning. Grief is the internal experience of loss. Mourning is the external presentation of that internal grief. Mourning is the external expression of that internal grief. And grief, again, is not a problem to be solved. It's an experience to be assimilated. And we're better off when we accept that reality and work our way through the grief that comes to us. You know, most of us, whenever we experience great grief, because we have loved greatly, we discover a couple of things about ourselves. First of all, we discover that we are far more resilient than we thought we were. And that is a good thing for us to realize that. It steads us well for the future. But often when we grieve, we also discover some of our deepest flaws and weaknesses. 
Particularly if what we are grieving is our refusal to give up that which we are supposed to give up. When we are grieving our refusal to step away from a job that isn't feeding us or to step away from a relationship that is no longer working for us or to step away from a church that is no longer meeting our spiritual needs, sometimes we find ourselves desperately trying to remain in a relationship that is in fact ready to end and in trying to hold on to that which is not truly ours to hold on to we disappoint ourselves in the way we behave so it's hard working through grief and mourning is hard because we not only discover our resiliency we also discover our greatest flaws and weaknesses so frederick beekner is one of my favorite religious writers and Beekner wrote two, not one, but two memoirs, split his life in two. And in that first memoir, he talks about the day that he, as a young boy, had just awakened in his bedroom. His brother was still asleep in the bed across from him. And with his eyes barely opened, he saw his father open the door and stick his head in just briefly and then close the door quietly. His father went down and into the garage where he started the car while leaving the garage door closed, and his father ended his life that day. Beekner, talking about that, said that was the defining moment of his life. Often our losses are the defining moments of our lives. He says everything before his father's death was once before a time. Everything after his father's death was once upon a time. He said that was in fact the loss that defined his entire being, that remains with him right down to this day, an important loss that let him then build a new life on the other side of that grief and mourning, a new life that is the once upon a time. Whenever we're experiencing great grief and loss, when we are going through grief and mourning, we need others to surround us who understand. We need others to be with us who also know that once before a time becomes once upon a time. In her book, It's Okay Not to Be Okay, Megan Divine calls this the tribe of the after. We all need at times of great grief and loss, the strength, the warmth, the comfort of the tribe of the after. In describing what people need in a time of grief and loss, her words are so perfect, I don't want to try to change them or to not present them accurately. She says, what people are looking for and need in a time of grief and loss is companionship inside their pain. It is the power of presence and bearing witness to your grief. There's nothing magical about it. It is love. Love that does not turn away. Love that does not abandon. Love that is present. Love without answers or explanations. Just companionship inside your pain. When you're wanting to come alongside and comfort those who are going through grief and mourning, again, what they need is those who are coming from the once upon a time, from the tribe of after, those who understand what you need is companionship 
inside your pain. It's the power of presence and bearing witness to your grief, holding space for it. There's nothing magical about it. It's love. Love that does not turn away, does not abandon. Love that is present without answers or explanations. Love that is present without answers or explanations. Just companionship, companionship inside your pain. Again, that's from Megan Devine's book, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. So when I was a child, I was very, very close to my maternal grandmother. I saw her all the time. They lived just an hour away in eastern Kentucky from where we lived across the river in West Virginia. But then my family moved to Akron, Ohio, six hours away. And I no longer had my grandmother available to me as I once had. And at just five years of age, I started having a recurring dream, a dream I remember to this very day. Over and over, I would dream the same thing. I would dream that I was in an old 1950s because, well, it was the 1950s, gasoline tanker truck, bright orange. And it was floating in the air about 100 feet above US 23 in northeastern Kentucky. And then we would come to the bridge that crosses over from South Shore, Kentucky, to Portsmouth, Ohio, a suspension bridge. And again, that truck would be about 100 feet above the roadway, just going between the cables that held that bridge in suspension. And the truck, once it got to the bridge, would go to the other side of the bridge and back to the south side of the bridge, to the north side of the bridge and back to the south side of the bridge, and was able to float because its tanks were empty. The truck was running on empty. And back and forth it went from the south side of the bridge to the north side of the bridge, from the south side of the bridge to the north side of the bridge. And yes, your five-year-old understands grief and mourning. On the south side of the bridge, you touch what you have lost. You make meaning of what it is that you lost, that person, that job, that church, that relationship. It's on the south side of the bridge you find meaning in that which was lost. Ah, but now you have to cross over to the north side of the bridge because you have to give up your sense of control, your desperate desire to control what cannot be controlled. What is lost is lost. And you do not want to give up control. You do not want to give up your attempt to control that which has been lost, which then sends you back to the south side of the bridge again. Because now you have to redefine what that meant to you, that relationship, that job, that church. You've already found its meaning, but now you have to redefine that relationship going forward. That relationship that has been lost, the job that's been lost, the church that's been lost, you have to redefine it going forward. And then you move again to the north side of the bridge. And there you have to redefine yourself, who you are to become. And there finally, the last stage of grief, you find new hope on the north side of the loss, 
Any time we experience pain and loss, there is always a moving from one side of the bridge to the other, from one side to the other. It is a part of the grieving and the mourning process. So you've heard me say here many times, the belief in God has never come easily to me. I mean, I admitted it in a TED talk. I said, I believe in God most days, except for Tuesdays and Thursdays and any day on the New Jersey Turnpike. Which if you've ever been on the New Jersey Turnpike, I do not have to explain to you why I would say that. It's always been hard for me to have a solid sense of God. You ever find yourself just staring off into distance, looking at nothing in particular, and you have these squiggly amoeba-like lines in front of your eyes? There's a technical name for them, but we call them floaters. Do you ever notice if you try to focus on a floater, you can't? As soon as you try to focus on a floater, it disappears from your field of vision. That's how God has always felt to me. Like a floater, every time I think I have him or her in my clear field of vision, like a floater, God is gone. I've had to give up the notion that God is mine to possess. God is not mine to possess. I am God's to be possessed by. His name was Cleopas. He lived in a village just about seven miles from Jerusalem. There was a man who lived with him, a friend, a partner, a companion, a husband. We don't know. They left their home in Emmaus and traveled the seven dusty miles to the city of Jerusalem because they had heard of this man, Jesus. And once they started following him, he was different than any other religious teacher they had seen. He taught them, he showed them how to love well, how to love God, how to love their neighbors, every last one of them. And oh, maybe the most important of all, how to love themselves. And then he went and got himself killed by the Roman authorities. They waited around to see if anything was going to happen, but nothing happened. And now, now they had no choice but to walk the seven dusty miles down the road to Emmaus. We've all been on the road to Emmaus. Oh, for God's sake, over the last two years, we have been on the road to Emmaus. We've been in the middle of a horrible, horrible pandemic that just won't end. And we're weary of it. We're tired of it. We want to be on the other side of it. It is wearying to be on the road to Emmaus. And now we find ourselves yet again, those of us who live here, on the road to Emmaus because of the climate change that terrifies us so Terrible, horrible winds like none of us have ever seen before ripped through our county and take away 910 homes, signifying the place of comfort for thousands of people, including our own dear Lonnie and Brian Pierce. Lonnie, co-chair of our board. Brian, who right there plays his bass most every Sunday. I don't know if the bass survived because they lost their home, burned to the ground, as have so many others. We've been on the road to Emmaus and we are weary. We are tired. 
And suddenly a man is walking with them. He asks what they're talking about because we have to talk about these things. When we find ourselves in grief and mourning, we have to talk about our grief and mourning. We have to express it to others. And they're talking, trying to make sense of what happened to this person, Jesus. And suddenly a man is walking with them and says, what are you talking about? Cleopas looks at him and says, what, have you been under a rock for the last three days? Jesus, the one in whom we all placed our hope, was killed and he's gone. And we're lost. And the man, not really giving him any comfort, said, oh, yep, yep, that was written in the scriptures, you know, that that was going to happen to him. Well, now it was time for them to turn off to go to their home, and so they invited the man to come to dinner with him. They placed the food on the table. They were ready to pray, and instead their guest prayed. And as he was praying, they realized their guest was the risen Jesus. Their guest was the Lord of hosts. Their guest, sitting there eating the lasagna they'd heated up in the oven, was the Lord of the universe. And as soon as they recognized it, like a floater, he was gone. Gone. Those of us who've been around for a while know what it's like to grieve and mourn and to have that sense of emptiness because you can't catch a clear glimpse of the God you know is there, but you can't see. It was after 9-11. I was the CEO of a large nonprofit in New York and we'd given away over a million dollars to people who'd lost family members, lost their jobs, lost their homes. It was two months later and I was exhausted and weary. I went out for a run one day. And as I got down toward Heckscher State Park, I saw a couple out with their baby. I remembered having seen one of those wooden storks in the front yard right before 9-11, announcing the birth of a daughter. The daughter's name was Cameron. I remember that. They were out for a stroll with Cameron, and I looked in the stroller at this cute, chubby baby. I congratulated them. I headed on into the park. And I started sobbing. Sobbing. Because I knew the truth. No amount of pain. No amount of evil. No amount of loss, none of it, stood a chance in the smiling face of a chubby baby. Because the truth is, the truth has always been, and the truth always will be, that love wins. Right then. A song written in 1529 by Martin Luther came to mind. It came to mind again yesterday. And though this earth with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth 
to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win. And he must win. And he will win the battle. God, our grief is great. Our mourning is loud. We feel for Lonnie and Brian and Sam and Joel. We feel for the thousands who have lost their homes in just a moment. But God, we know. We know the truth. That no amount of evil no amount of capricious pain, no amount of just the natural course of things can ever, ever, ever remove the truth that love wins. God, we ask you. We ask you to comfort Alani, whose voice brings so much comfort to us. Always calm always assuring, always giving us hope. We pray for Brian, whose words, whose music, whose gentle, solid grounding gives hope to us and such deep joy. We pray for Sam, whose enthusiasm for life whose excitement about what tomorrow might hold. We pray for him as he goes back to school, for Joel in those early stages of discovering who he is and what he's going to do and where he's going to go and the disruption that this brings, God may for all four of them and yeah, even for the cat. May this be a time of knowing that grief is not a problem to be solved. It's an experience to be assimilated. And yes, grief is as bad as you think it is. 
God, may the rest of us be there for them, with them, surrounding them, loving them. May we speak the truth that you are our fortress and love wins. Amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.